Bibles and let's turn to the book of Romans here tonight and uh, continue some thoughts on the believer's <clears throat> position here tonight. But we're going to consider here tonight the believer's position and appointment. Believer's position and appointment. And uh, we looked at the believer's position and confidence there last week. And the believer's position is that of free from condemnation, but not freed from correction. Appointed to commendation and accepted in the beloved. The believer's confidence is in his new walk and in his new mind. We see these thoughts here in Romans chapter 8. But here tonight we want to look at the, uh, the believer's position and appointment in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to pick up in verse number 12 here. Again, we could spend a lot more time in chapter 8, but I'm not going to spend a lot, a lot more time in chapter 8. There's a lot of good thoughts there towards the end of the chapter I want to discuss here too. But Romans chapter 8, verse number 12, we're going to consider here the believer's uh, position and appointment in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse number 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, but if we live after the flesh... You shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, Heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we are ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. I want to consider here tonight the believer's position and appointment in Christ. Let's pray before we consider these thoughts. Father, thank you, Lord, again for tonight. Thank you again for this opportunity. We can just look into the book of Romans and learn some things about a Christian, some things that they have in Christ, some things are given in Christ, also some things are appointed to in Christ. Again, just bless these things as we look at them here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And I want to consider here, first of all, the believer's position as given here in verse number 12. It says here, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Our position as Christians debtors. We own God a debt. We own a God a debt that we could not pay of ourselves, and that is for our sin. We are debtors, but not only to Jesus, but 
Not to the flesh, it says here. We don't have a debt to this flesh. We don't have a debt or obligation to this flesh. But to live, to live after the flesh, we're not debtor, debtor to the flesh anymore. Not to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And so we're debtors not to the flesh, but to the Spirit, or to the Son, or to God. And so our position in Christ is that of debtors. We own a debt that we could not pay of our own selves. Turn back to Romans chapter 6. What is that debt? It's a sin debt. It's a sin debt that we could not pay as uh, believers, as sinners. As sinners, we could not pay this debt. The right recompense for our sins would be death. We see here in Romans chapter 6, verse number 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are debtors to sin. We are debtors to a Savior, a precious Savior who died in our place. Our sin debt needed to be paid, and Jesus paid that debt. There's no way for us to repay that debt. But yet we're debtors. And so first of all, we see our position of Christ as a debtor to a loving and living Savior who died in our place to pay for our sins. Secondly, if you turn back to Romans chapter 8, and again, these first couple points are going to be kind of brief here tonight. The believer's position of Christ is that of a debtor to an amazing, loving Savior who paid the debt for our sin. Secondly, we are, secondly, adopted Children. I want to talk about this a little bit. It mentions this in verse number 14 through verse number 16. It says, For as many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Of God. And so we see ourselves as adopted children. Children that have a spiritual nature. The Bible talks about a divine nature imparted to us by the Spirit of God. We are adopted in God's family. There are many different options when it comes to adoption. Sometimes orphans that don't have a family are adopted. Sometimes there are people that are in foster care situations and they are adopted and some are adopted and we don't see this much today but they are adopted to have a place of heirship and that of being given privileges of a son and a family you see this here in the bible here as it mentions here in verse number 17 it says if children then heirs heirs of god Join heirs with Christ, if so you suffer with him, that you may be also glorified together. It mentions here children who are heirs. We weren't heirs. We would have been heirs with the devil. We would have been heirs with the damned, but we are heirs with Christ. Ephesians, if you turn over there with me, and tells us some things about adoption. The Bible teaches us some things about 
adoption. I didn't know this until recently, but one of Jerry Willite's sons, again, one that I met there over in Africa in 2009, adopted three children in just one day. In a single day, adopted three children. Three young children that family adopted in one day. And those children, one day, were part of no family, in a sense. And then they were adopted into their family on that day. And things definitely changed, as now they would be raised with a Christian heritage after the Christian ways, again, after different worldviews, possibly, than they were of before. And now those children are now Although not in a true sense, John's children, they are his children now and will forever be heirs of John and his wife. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4 through verse number 6. The Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us, even where we're dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and has raised us up together, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Adopted into Jesus Christ's family. It goes on and says there in verse number 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So as Jesus walks in good works and, and do those things which are good, and so we see again the children adopted into the Lord's family. Let's turn to Romans chapter 9. Again, I didn't live back in the days of adoption, but there were people adopted sometimes because they had such great character that they were actually adopted in the family as the heir, the main heir in a family over regular children that were adopted in a regular family. Again, I don't have any... uh, basic way to prove this from the Bible, but again, history talks about that, and that seems very strange. To be in a family and then have someone adopted in that family to be the heir of that family, and someone says, well, why would that be? Maybe because that person has possessions, properties, and things that they want someone again to uh, take care of, and they want that to continue in some kind of way, shape, or form. You see in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, several times where someone wanted an heir appointed. And uh, it wasn't God's will that this heir be appointed, but nonetheless, sometimes you'll see heirs appointed. Romans chapter 9, in verse number 4, the Bible talks about adoption here in Romans 9. It says, Who are Israelites, which pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Now, what kind of adoption is it talking about? It's about spiritual adoption, given certain rights and privileges. It mentions glory, covenants, giving of the law, service of God, and promises. The Israelites were given the privilege of being someone, in a sense, adopted to be the people of God, to be privileged with the word of God and the things of God. And yet the Bible speaks about the children of God being adopted. It mentions there in verse number 15, it says, For ye have not received the spirit again of bondage to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby ye cry, Abba, Father. Spiritual children 
having a spiritual father, father which is in heaven. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This adoption takes us, again, as children of this world, or children of the devil, out of that, 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 that family of darkness into the kingdom of light, into a different position before God, instead of being children of darkness, or of the devil, children of light and children of God. As Satan's children, our heritage is death and hell, and the wages that accompany that. But we find with Jesus, we have life in heaven as our adoption and our future. Our inheritance are the things he has. And the privileges of the children of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you and be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty. God calls us to separate from the unclean and enter into a privileged place as being heirs with Jesus, join heirs with Jesus Christ. Let's turn back to our text here in Romans chapter 8. This is our position in Christ. We are debtors. We didn't get what we get because we paid for it or did something to merit it. We got it as a gift. We are also adopted children. God graciously loved us and took us to be his own children. And he did this through the Spirit of God by bringing us into his family. We are led by the Spirit. Verse number 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So these children, again, have... Their father is God and, their, and the spirit of God is their guide. And so we see us as debtors and we see us as they're adopted. But there's an interesting thing mentioned here in the word of God. And this is what I want to focus some time on here. Uh, Christians are appointed to suffer. I mean, everything good before this, right? Debtors <laughs> were adopted. But we're appointed to suffer. In verse 17, it says this, And if children then heirs, heirs of God and heirs with Christ, if so, that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, but uh, not willingly, but by reason of him that, who hath uh, subjected the same, the same hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. But it mentions there in verse number 17, it says, if, if heirs, join heirs, if we suffer with them. Nobody can claim to be a Christian and not suffer. All creation suffers, but specifically it talks about the children of God suffering because they've been united to Jesus Christ, adopted by Christ, part of his family, and in a place of debtorship. They will suffer. All the world will suffer, as we see there 
a little bit further there. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, don't be surprised if you have physical suffering. You have pains or aches, disease or ailment, injury or bruises, headaches or heartaches, catastrophe or calamities come to your family, storms, diseases, fires, waters. The point of the suffering. Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it says, we're appointed to it. It says, if so, we suffer with him, we will be glorified also together. We'll suffer, just like Jesus suffered, but we'll also be glorified in the future. I want you to show you this thing about suffering. Christians are specifically appointed to suffer. Paul mentions this to the Christians there at Rome that had gone through suffering. Church at Thessalonica went through a lot of suffering. First century Christians went through a lot of suffering. Many people in Muslim places around the world are appointed many times to suffering. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If we're living the life that we, we should be living, and I believe we all, again, by grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit and through, again, the Word of God, will find suffering or life somewhere along the way. Uh, Paul speaks of his suffering and also speaks specifically of persecution. That is something Christians are appointed to. 2 Timothy chapter 3 here, verse number 10 through verse number 12. It's not all roses for the believer. He's appointed to adoption. That's a wonderful thing and has a glorious heritage to look forward to in heaven. He's appointed as a debtor to someone who's willing to give their life for him. But yet, he's also appointed to a place of suffering. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 10, it says, That thou hast fully known my doctrine, Paul, just speaking about himself and his experiences in life, he says, You fully know my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all... The Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul mentions his personal experiences with suffering. And he mentions that all believers that live godly shall suffer persecution. And so, again, the Christians are appointed to suffering. Jesus, again, suffered. Paul suffered. Jesus actually promised in the Word of God that we will suffer. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to, again, just show you this because there is, uh, there's false teachers out there that, you know, basically will tell you in so many words, if you're just doing the will of God, you're not going to suffer. You're going to be uh, a Christian that, again, will not suffer. Everything will go right in your life. You're not going to have any heartache, injuries, disease, headaches, heartaches, pains, troubles, trials, storms, fires whatever it might be. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. You actually see saints suffering. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 10, someone says, why is that? Maybe because heaven will be much sweeter if we've gone through some suffering. We'll look forward to heaven much more because we experience suffering. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 10, the Bible says, blessed are they 
which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. It shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. You're going to be pointed to suffer. But you're not just going to suffer for no reason. You're not going to suffer and not receive anything as a result of it. The Bible says there'll be rewards that you'll partake in because of suffering. Suffering for the saints is part of the package. Suffering for believers is part of being a believer. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. You know, someone might say, you know, and I had someone just tell me something along this line. It's not the exact words, but tell me along this line. You know, things are just going to get better and better until Jesus comes. I thought to myself, hmm, where do you get that from? <laughs> things will get better and better until Jesus comes. He's just waiting until things get better and then they'll come. And I thought to myself, boy, uh, you're kind of off on this, but I didn't really say anything in this situation because it was a very brief encounter I had. And I thought, wow. Certainly misguided on this one. Matthew 24, verse number 3. What does Jesus say about the end of the world? What does he say about the time of his coming? Well, let's read a little bit here. Matthew 24, verse number 3 through verse number 14. The Bible says, He sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of the coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled, for all these must come to pass, and the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. Heard a lot about earthquakes lately. My brother was talking about one again in Alaska. Heard about one over in South Korea. I heard another, another one going on. Just a lot of that stuff going on. Pestilence, wars, rumors of wars. All these are beginning sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. It shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and Many betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But they that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel, the kingdom, shall be preached in the world for a witness on all nations, and then shall the end come. Someone says, what's the end going to be like? I think you can see here a little bit how the end's going to be like in Matthew chapter 24. Hated of all men for my name's sake. People hate Christians. Christians have been persecuted throughout history and will continue to be persecuted. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. One might think again someone's going to be appointed to grace and glory and all these wonderful things if you become a Christian but again, I just want you to show the reality that Jesus said and Paul taught us that we would suffer. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For there is expectation the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. 
We're waiting for a change. We're waiting for something different. Christians are subjects of suffering, subject to persecution, subject to temporary suffering, subject to suffering that will lead to eternal rewards. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This little text here between 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the beginnings of chapter 5 uh, tells us some more things about this suffering, gives us, I believe, some good information that I'd like to consider here just a little bit about a Christian appointed to suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of a God and house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. He's talking about he's talking about a body he's waiting for. He's talking for a change he's waiting for. And so we see in the Bible we are pointed to suffering. But not only us, if you turn back to Romans chapter 8, not only us as Christians are appointed to suffering. I want to mention here Romans chapter 8, verse number 19 through verse number 22, that Paul mentions here all creation is appointed to suffering. Let's pick up there in verse number 19. It says, For the earnest expectation of the creatures waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject of vanity, not willingly, but of reason of him that has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only do Christians suffer, but this whole world goes through suffering. All creation suffers in some degree. Whether it's plant life or animal life, everything suffers. For plant life, it rots away, decays, dies. For dogs, cats, birds, whatever kind of animal I be, they degenerate, they decay, they suffer pain, they suffer loss. No one can dodge suffering. No one can get around it right now. All of us are appointed to it. Let's look at verse number 24. It says, but for we are saved by hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he hope yet for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we have patience to wait for it. So the Christian is appointed to waiting, but also to hope. What is their hope? That this creation will change. That they will have a new body. That there will be a new heaven and new earth, according to the scriptures. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 65. What does a Christian hope for? Does he look to this earth and say, well, I think if we do enough to this earth, we get enough political leaders on the right side of God, good, 
uh, we'll, we'll be in a great place. We'll make everything right and everything will be fine and dandy for everyone in this world. No, the Christian actually looks to Jesus for hope, looks to the future for hopes, looks to the scriptures for hope. And uh, Isaiah 65 and verse number 17 tells us a little about, about this hope and this future that we look forward to. Let's read there in verse number 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17, it says, For behold, I create a new heaven, a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And, and, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in here, nor the voice of crying. There should be no more thence in infinite days, nor an old man that not fulfill this day, for the child should die a hundred years old, for the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be cursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them, and they shall not build and, and another habit, and they shall not plant and another eat. Uh, for as the uh, days of trees are the days of the, my people and mine elect, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Skip a few verses. Verse 25, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and, and the dust shall be on the serpent's meat, and then sh shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my mountains, saith the Lord. What do Christians look forward to? Verse 17, Hope of a new heaven, new earth. I create new heaven, new earth, what dwells righteousness. Now someone says, that's Isaiah. He's sharing hope with Israel. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. John shows that same kind of hope, just in a little bit different language in Revelation chapter 21. We don't look to this world as a lasting place, a place, again, of, of wonderful things, but rather a creation that's decaying, uh, uh, dying, decaying, suffering, pain, affliction, groaning, and pain together. We look at the creation as having struggles and having trials and troubles. Not just the Christian, but the whole creation. Revelation chapter 21, verse number 1 through 4, Paul, I'm sorry, uh, John writes here, I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Suffering creation, suffering Christians, it's going to go away. You say, how is it going to go away? Through the hope of the scriptures, through the hope of the future, through a new creation, through the purging of fire that will take place when it comes to this earth. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I just want to show you this. Some have ideas about what this earth is going to be like. We get a good picture of what the earth is going to be like from Isaiah 65, Revelation chapter 21. And then also here in 2 Peter chapter 3, 
as it talks about this new heaven and uh, new earth. At verse number, let's just pick, we're going to back up here just a little bit. Let's pick up there at verse number 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heaven shall be, shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works thereof shall be burnt up. It sounds like a really burning of this earth. It's going to be burnt up. Seeing then, it says in verse 11, that all these things be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holiness, holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being dissolved on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. We're looking for. We're looking for a new heaven, new earth. We're looking for an earth one day that will be purged by fire. One you'll not recognize in some fashion like the old one. Let's turn back to Romans there. The believer's position is appointed as a spiritual debtor. He received, again, salvation for a debt that he didn't pay, but Jesus paid for him. He was adopted into a member, into the family of God, through Jesus Christ, and now he has an inheritance and is a joint heir with Jesus Christ, but he's also appointed to suffer, but he's appointed to hope. In verse 24, it says, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we have patience to wait for us, for it. So we're waiting. We're waiting on the future. We're waiting on the new creation. We're waiting on the return of Jesus Christ. A lot more things we could talk about. What we see here, we are debtors. We see that in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We see there we are adopted. In verse number 14, it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, adopted children. We are sufferers. Verse number 17, and if, if children, then heirs, heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be we suffer with them, we also shall be glorified together. Suffer and glorified one day. Given glorified bodies. Not having to deal with this old body an old nature. We mentioned there the suffering of creation there, but appointed to hope. Saved by hope, mentions there in verse number 24, looking forward in hope to the future. We see the believer's position and appointment. Again, uh, some thoughts there from Romans here. Hopefully you can take them with you. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.